see how it all uh, fits together as we go through. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you, if you would, would you please stand with me as I read God's Word to you? There was a time in uh, the book of Ezra many, many, many years ago where the people stood for six hours in the rain as God's Word was preached and read. So for the next three minutes, you should be okay. All right. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of wisdom and the Spirit. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Father, this morning I just pray that you would now speak a word to our hearts and minds, that you'd speak to us about your church the glory in your church, the glory of your Son in the church, and how best that we may be able to do church together for the sake of your kingdom and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Right, please, uh, please take a seat. And as you're uh, sort of busy preparing yourself to, uh, to, to hear, there's my title for you, Deacons. Deacons. But I figured that was a fairly pretty boring sort of title, don't you think? It was boring, you know, no one going to the website, no one's going to listen to that. So then I decided I was going to call it Defective Deacons because they're a bit defective. No, well, maybe not. Oh, actually, I think they're quite divine, so I rushed, wrestled with that one. But then I realized maybe, I don't know, maybe defective and divine. So that's what I decided to, to land on, digging into deacons this morning, digging into deacons. So we've just started a series called We Are Church, Volume 2, and this, this series is designed to help us what the, what the church is, how the church should function, but how that then relates and converts pragmatically into the life of the church here at BBC. And we started last week, we went to the subject of elders and today we're going to dig into deacons and a reminder to you that we do the very same subject in the upcoming Connect Groups. Today, digging into deacons. And you met some of them this morning and their faces were on the screen. And I hope that you got just a little taste, a little window of, of the sort of things that happen on the board. Now, I want to give you a wonderful statement by Craig Hamilton in his book, Wisdom in Leadership. And here's what he says. He says, The biblical model of leadership is a stupid name for a chapter. Almost everything about that title is unhelpful. And here's what he's saying. He's basically saying that the biblical model of leadership is stupid. Why? Let me quote him again. He says, To say there is one ultimate or model, or way of leadership in the Bible is not accurate. So here's what he's saying, and I agree with him. 
To say, for example, that the Baptist way of doing church or the Baptist way of doing leadership is the best way or the only way is simply not true. To say that the Presbyterian way or the Christian Reformed way or the Anglican way or the Free Reformed way, that that, that way of doing church, church structure and church leadership, to say that's the best way of doing it and is the only way is simply not true. In the words of Hamilton, he would say that is stupid. You see, in church circles, there is always this big debate, for example, should a church be led eldership-led or should be led congregationally? Now, let's do a little bit of a vote. Let's do a little bit of a thing. Those of you that think that the church should be led eldership way, put up your hands. Hmm. Congregationally. Haven't got a clue. There's a, there, there we go, double hands there. Okay? Which, 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 which one is best? Now, you sitting here and you've got all your views. You cannot simply say that one is right, one is wrong, one is better than the other. Because to say that sort of thing simply is not to carry any biblical authority. Now, BBC, Bustleton Baptist Church, is a congregationally led church, which means that the ultimate authority of the church lies in the membership, not in the elders, not in the board. Now, when it comes to church structures, for example, there are pros and cons on either side. And if you're not familiar with any of these things because you're clueless, that's okay. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to the board. Come and have a discussion. And if you're part of a connect group, then you'll get into this subject in a little bit more detail this week. In terms of leadership, the Bible does speak about two groups of people. One, elders and two deacons. And last week, if you you were here, you might remember that we discovered the terms for elders, pastors, overseers are all interchangeable. Remember that? They're all the same role. This church only has men as elders who have the responsibility to oversee pastorally, spiritually, the affairs of the church. The second group, which is our focus this morning, is deacons. And the very first mention of the word deacon in the Bible is this one in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, where Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chenzeria. Now, this is important for two reasons. The first reason this is important because this deacon mentioned is a woman, which will be important when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. But it's important to realize that this word deacon is actually a transliterated word. It actually comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means servant. It's a transliterated word. So the, the translators have taken the word diakonos or diakonos, and they've transliterated that into the word deacon. It could simply be written like this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Chenzeria. But I think it is obvious, if you look at the verse, it's obvious that Paul is using the word diakonos in a very specific way. He's not using it in a general sense that like Phoebe's just a general servant of the church like we all are, but he's using it in a very recognized sort of way. He's saying, I recommend to you, Phoebe, a 
recognized servant. She's somebody that has got a position of responsibility in the church. She's doing something on behalf of Paul and the churches. And Paul says, I recommend her to you. Please accept her. Recognize her position. And we see this distinction very clearly in this verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul and Timothy, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, says, servants of Christ Jesus to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the, the overseers, that's the Greek word episkopos, from where we get bishop, and the deacons, again, that Greek word diakonos. Now, can you see that there's a clear delineation between the role of elder and the role of deacon? Elders and recognized servants. And that is the best way that I think you should translate the word diakonos in this context. It is to the overseers, the elders, the pastors, and the recognized servants. servants. Now, it does not really matter what you call your elders and deacons. But what we've done here at BBC over 30 years of history, we've chosen to retain those titles. We've retained those words. We call them elders. You saw them last week, and we've got the deacons, and you were introduced to them this morning. And that's how our Constitution is reflected. So just take a look at this. 7.3 in the Constitution, the two formal offices of the local church government elected by the formal membership, that's congregational, to lead the church shall be elders and deacons. And I hope that's fairly clear to you. Now here's what I want to do for our time remaining. I want to, I want to dig a little deeper into the role of deacons. In other words, what sort of things did they do? And we're going to sort of open that up. And we're going to start here in in Acts, so if you've got your Bible, you want to turn there again with me to Acts chapter 6, we're going to have a look at deacons in Acts. Now, it may be surprising to you to know that the word deacon does not appear in the book of Acts. doesn't appear. But the very first time the concept of deacons appears is here in Acts chapter 6. And verse 1 to 6. So follow with me on the screen and your Bible. Keep your nose in there as well. So let's just go through it. So there it is in, in, in chapter 6 verse 1. As the disciples, the numbers were increasing. There was a conflict that broke out. And this conflict was between two sets of Jewish widows. There was a problem with distribution of food. One was getting, one wasn't getting. And there is a bit of a conflict between these two groups. And they need to sort the thing out. Now, just a little pause there. Isn't it good to know that there was even conflict in the very first church and not something unique to BBC or any other church? Even when the apostles were there, there was conflict. Conflict is not something that we should be surprised by. It's the way we deal with conflict in the church that is the most important. But I will say to you that the way Christians deal with conflict at times, well, maybe we'd say sometimes it's pretty shocking and appalling. 
How did they deal with this conflict? So have a look at it. Verse 2, the 12 gathered uh, with all the disciples saying, listen, it, w- it wouldn't be good for us to neglect the ministry of the word. So what, 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 what you need to do is you need to, uh, to delegate this responsibility. Uh, choose seven men from among you. They're known full of wisdom and da-da-da-da. Turn this problem over to them. Let, them. let them sort it out. And what we will do is we will give our attention, this is the apostles, to, to the ministry of the word and prayer. And so they chose these seven men. They brought them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, what I'm about to say is critical. And I think if we miss this, we're going to miss the whole deal. Okay? The choosing of the seven men in Acts chapter 6 is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay? I'm going to put those two words and ask the team at the back just to leave those words there. If something is prescriptive, it's something that we have to do in the same way. If it's descriptive, it means that they've done it in a particular way, in a particular context, which means that we can do things in a freedom sort of way in our own context. Does that make, does that make sense? Now, if you look at this and say, well, how do you know that this Acts chapter 6, how do you know it was descriptive and not prescriptive? How would you know? In other words, that seven men, why is the seven men descriptive, not prescriptive? Do you know how you know? Because Phoebe was a what? In Romans 16, Phoebe was a, was a woman, okay? Because if, if the seven men was prescriptive, Phoebe would have been a man. I don't, oh, you, know, you know what I mean by that. <laughs> Getting all confused there, right? Does that make sense? You've got to get this distinction between prescriptive and descriptive. Now, let me step on two very sensitive issues. There are two things. There are two things in the Bible, for example, that we have been told that we should do. Do you know what they are? They're sometimes known as the bad word sacraments. It's not a good word. What are the two sacraments? Baptism and the Lord's table. So let me ask you a question. How often should we do the Lord's table? Mm. How, how, how often would you like to do it? Every week, right? For some, right? Uh, um, should the elements, should it be bread and crackers? I mean, should it be bread and juice or should it be crackers and juice? Should it be bread and juice? Should it be bread and wine? What do you want? You want port? Oh, okay. No. What's the point? It's, it's, it is something we're told to do, but it's not what? It's not prescriptive in the way that we have to do it, in the form that we do it, in the frequency. We've got what? We've got freedom. It's just simply not right to say that we should have it every single week. We can. It's a freedom. But we don't have to. Should it be served to you or should you come forward and get it? Which one do you prefer? Probably prefer to have it served to you. But whether you come forward and get it or serve to you or go down on your knees or go around the tables like this, there's no form, right? It, there's a freedom issue, do you understand? All right, let me, let me push the second sensitive issue and that's of baptism, all right? So it was common practice that in the New Testament, in Acts, that people put their faith in Christ and they were baptized. Now, let me ask you this question. Should they be baptized directly 
after having faith in Christ? Should they? Or can you wait a little bit? Should you wait a little bit and see whether the real thing has happened? What do you think? Well, should it be done in a baptistry or on the beach? Should it be done in a pool or at the GLC? Should it be done by full immersion or sprinkling? Ooh. It's descriptive, not prescriptive, which means that there is freedom. To simply say there's one way to do believers' baptism in the words of Hamilton is what? Stupid. You said it, not me. This is where we go so wrong so often in ecclesiology in the way that we do things, thinking that something is prescriptive when it's descriptive. And we need to know the wisdom. And your leadership, your leadership, elders and the deacons together need to know the difference and need to understand how to understand the Scriptures in these things. Okay, let me keep going. going. Otherwise, I might digress a little bit further. So there's, there's a little picture of deacons in Acts. Let's have a look at the deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And this gets very interesting. If you've got your Bible, flick over. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you'll notice, as you're getting there, in the first seven verses, you've got Paul's uh, description of the characteristics of what elders should be. And, and, and reminder from last week, elders are to be godly examples to the flock. If they are not godly examples, you don't put them in leadership. Again, you don't put newies, newbies, new converts in positions like that. They need to have a track record. They are examples to the flock. And notice 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, they must be able to teach. Now understand, an elder to be able to teach does not mean they have to be able to preach. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. All must be able to teach, which means they need to be able to, to, to encourage with the Word, exhort with the Word, evangelize people, and know the difference between truth and error. Now, just pick up in verse 8 to 10. Let's just read that again. I hope I've got it. It says, pick up in verse 8. Um, in the same way, because we're looking at deacons, in the same way deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, there it is again, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Now, again, a helpful way to translate this would be, if we go back, Let's just go back to verse, in the same way, listen, recognized servants are to be worthy of respect and so on. Recognized servants. And I think if you look at the context in, from verse 8, this is talking about deacons who are men, men, men deacons. And so again, you can see the difference. There's a distinction, one to seven, elders, eight following, there is the deacons. As we consider deacons who are men in this context, verse 8, notice they are to be godly men. They are to be worthy of respect. They are to be sincere. They are not to be indulging in much wine. I'm going to just stop there for a moment. You know, in my old church, in my first church, the very, this is going back down to the 90s, the church where I was converted, the leadership there made this law that if you were, they didn't actually call them elders and deacons, they called them wardens because they were an Anglican church. They've got freedom to do that. But they made a rule that if you were on the church leadership at that level, you had to be a teetotaler. 
you may not drink alcohol to be, in our terms, an elder or a deacon. Now, here's the thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing to do that, but what's happened is you're making a law out of something that's not a law. It again falls into that prescriptive, descriptive thing. We've got to be very careful. Not necessarily a bad thing, but don't make a law out of something that's not law. But I would say this, some Christians do really need to control their drinking out of love for the sake of the weaker brother, and that's something we often do very poorly. I digress. Verse 8. In the same way, they are to be, uh, verse 8, they are to be with your respect. Verse 9 and 10, they are to, actually, let's go back to verse 9. They are to keep hold, notice there, so to be godly, verse 8. They are to keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. They need to be rooted in the gospel. This is your deacons we're talking about. And then have a look into verse 10. They must be first tested, and then they can serve as recognized servants. So let me just push it one more time. Please hear me. You do not put new Christians who have no proven track record into a recognized position of leadership. You don't do that. Why? Because so often there is a fallout. So often they fall into the devil's trap. And what do you think the devil's trap is? If you put a newbie into a high position, what happens? It's called? It's called pride. Now, Let's go to this verse in verse 11, okay? Verse 11, am I going the right way? I don't know where I'm going. There we go. Ah, right, there we go, verse 11. Have a look at verse 11. In the same way, right, we've just been dealing with elders, 1 to 7, and then 8 to 10 is male deacons. And then in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. And the big question is, what woman are they talking about, right? Is this woman deacon or is it wife of the, of the male deacon? Okay, and we'll come to that in just a moment. It's a very, very controversial verse. Now, Look at that verse. That's in the NIV. Let me give it to you directly from the Greek. Straight on, flat bang, word for word. Here it is. Oh, there it is. Uh, no, not that one. There it is. There it is again. In the same way, the woman ought to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. And you're sitting there going, what? That's exactly the same as the, as the NIV. In this particular case, the NIV have got it spot on. That's what it says, in the same way, the woman, the woman. Now, just out of interest, if we go to the King, old King James Version, this is how it translated the verse, even so their wives must, their wives must be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. If you went to the ESV, their wives likewise. If you go to the New Living Translation, in the same way there, their, their wives. In some of the older translations of the NIV, in the same way the deaconesses ought to be worthy, respect, not malicious, etc., etc. Okay? That's how the verse is in the Greek. In the same way, the woman, and I would say the best way to translate that in the context is to say in the same way as the male deacons, the recognized woman servants are to be worthy 
of respect. In other words, I think the NIV has got it absolutely spot on. And the older translation of actually saying in the same way the deaconesses, I think, would be a very helpful translation. I would argue that that's the way this church understands that, that both godly men and godly women can be deacons or recognized servants. And I make such a big deal about this is because there are many conservative churches today that see Acts chapter 6 with the seven men as prescriptive. Therefore, you may not have female deacons. That's the problem. Okay? So depending on how you understand this verse is going to affect your whole ecclesiology. It's going to affect the whole way you do church structure. Where have we landed as a church? Where have I landed personally? I think it's talking about female deacons. Recognize servants who are women and they can serve. Now, with all that said, here's the question, right? What do deacons do? What do deacons do in the New Testament? What do they do? Anybody want to give me a very short answer? Hmm? They deek. That sounds like something that came out of my wife. Welcome back, love. It's good to have you back. She was overseas for a bit. Okay, they deek. Well, so what, what do, <laughs> how do you deek, Belinda? How do deacons deek? Can I give you the short answer? It's not, what's the next word? It's not prescriptive. It's not prescriptive. The only thing that is clear in the New Testament about deacons who deek, it's gone in my head, the only, the only thing that is clear in the New Testament about what deacons do is that it's not prescriptive. In other words, it only seems to be clear that they do things that allow the elders to do their job. Does that make sense? You want your elders to pastor. You want them to shepherd. You want them to love. You want them to visit. You want them to be in the nitty-gritties of the life of the church. And you want the other recognized servants to handle as much of the other stuff so that they can elder that they can pastor. And that means that every deacon in every different church is going to do what? It's going to do different things. There's no prescription. There is just no prescriptive job description for a deacon in the church. It is absolutely contextual to the life of the individual church. So, in essence, as a sum, a deacon is a Godly Christian man or woman, they've got a godly track record, they are rooted in the gospel, and they serve in ways that help your pastors to pastor, that help your shepherds to shepherd, that help your elders to elder. And here's what we've got to grasp again. A church has freedom to call their elders and deacons what they want. How it's structured is a choice. It's a Christian freedom choice. And therefore, there is incredible flexibility around what deacons do. And it may change. It could change from year to year. It could change as needs come up and all that sort of stuff. Does that make sense? All right? So let me take you to my third heading then. No. Okay, three, deacons at BBC. Now, 
Let me warn you, there's a problem coming up, and I hope you can see it. All right, let me read it to you. Here's 7.3. In view of what I've just said, right? Digs dig, and elders elder, right? Here's look at the problem. 7.3, the two formal officers of the local church government in our constitution, elected by the formal membership to lead the church, shall be elders and deacons. You saw that earlier. The elders are responsible for the oversight, should sort of be partial oversight of the church. But the elders and deacons together constitute the church board who are responsible for the governance and the management of the church. Can you see the problem? Somebody tell me what the problem is. Can you see it? What is it, Jamie? Yeah, so, so the way our particular constitution is written at the moment, it's basically that your elders and your deacons are both what? Responsible for? For governance and management. What do we want according to a biblical framework? What do we want? We want our elders to elder and we want our deacons to deacon, right? That's the way we want to go with it. But we've got a constitution at the moment that has put those two, I like that, so drag the two roles into one. And that's why, for those of you who are members, you've, got a, you've sort of got a proposal sent to you, and we've pulled it off the table because we want to retweak it and reword it. We're going to send it back out to you. We're going to be putting a proposal to you that seeks to separate some of that so that the majority of your elders can actually do what they are called to do and not get bogged down, not get sucked in, not get dragged into the governance and the, and the management. Does that make sense? Our desire is to free up our elders, especially the non-full-time elders of this church, just to be elders so that all the elders do not need to be on the board. Now, let me say to you, so what that means, what I'm saying to you today, that I really do not believe, and I think our board would agree with this, I put you today that our current structure of the church board is not the most efficient way of doing things. It's not bad. It's not terrible. It's not the most efficient. It's causing undue strain on the elders, which is why a proposal is going to the members reworked in the next few weeks or so. So what do deacons do at BBC? Learn, stop it. Stop saying deek, okay? What do they do? So what do board, no, what do deacons do at BBC? They board members. That's what they do. Okay? Our deacons currently are board members that handle together with the elders at this time, that handle the governance and the management affairs of the church. They're involved in all that stuff that Sam spoke about, the policies, the procedures, the finances, the staff appointments, adhering to government regulations, memberships, etc., etc., etc. Here's what you've got to understand. Our other leaders like kids church leaders, uh, youth leaders, connect group leaders, they are not deacons. They could be, but listen carefully. If you're a deacon, you're on the board. If you're on the board, you do governance and management. That's what our deacons do. Could it change? It could change. Could it be done differently in the future? It could be. That's the way it is at the moment. So, you're sitting here and you're going, whoo, I ain't got a foggiest clue about what goes on in our constitution, and I've been part of this church for a while. 
then my brother and sister, would you please grab a constitution? It makes fantastic reading. As you go through, you pick up one at the hub on your way back, and you read it before you go to sleep tonight. You'll sleep like a baby. I promise you, it'll be fine. I read it every night. That's why I sleep like a baby. In all seriousness, if the, folks, if this is your church, if this is your church, read the Constitution. It's part of the very life of our church. But let me say this. The Constitution is an important document, but it's not the Bible. You understand that? A Constitution is an important document by which a church frames itself. It frames the structure and the organization of the way that they do things. But it's not the Bible, which also means that a constitution should always be open to, to change, good change. You see, when you find that your constitution is hindering gospel ministry, when you find that your constitution in little bits is making something prescriptive when it's descriptive, or perhaps you find your constitution has made a law out of something that's not law, well, you need to change it. It's not the Bible. Does that make sense? So I want to say to you today, it might sound a little bit controversial, but I put to you this morning that even in our constitution in parts, oh, it needs some changes. It needs a little bit of revision. It needs a bit of tweaking in order to make it better. And that is a good thing. We should not be afraid to make good changes to our constitution. One last time, our constitution is not the Bible. So, with all that, I've got one more heading for you. Ooh, deacons and you. Let's have a look at that slide. The first thing I want to ask you to do, as we've done this morning, is to ask you to pray for your deacons. Pray for your recognized servants who are both godly men and women, and every single man and woman on our deacons are godly. They are beautiful people. Sam, as you know, stepping off at the AGM. Tracy, Stuart, he will renominate. Angela, stepping off. And Caroline, considering, will reconsider things as she comes to the end of her first term. Can I ask you to pray for them? Can I ask you to encourage them? Can I ask you to take an interest in what they do? Would you, would you regularly thank them for the service they do? I, man, we work hard, and we go hard. There's lots of late meetings and extra meetings because we're wanting to serve this church in the best way that we can. Pray for your deacons. Pray about you being a deacon. If it's not already clear, this church needs to have godly men and women step up for the role of deacon. They need to have a proven godly track record. They need to be rooted in the gospel. And let me say this to you. I think Tracy or one of them said it. You do not need to be a rocket scientist to become a deacon in this church. You don't need a management degree in finances. You don't need some sort of uh, BTH or MTH or MA in business skills. Here's what you need. One, you need to be a godly person that's growing in godliness. Number two, you have to be willing, have a willing heart to serve the people of this church. 
Number three, you need to just be willing to learn some skills along the way. But, re but remember, we do it as a board. We do it together. We're, to use the old cliche, we do it better together. Please, would you take a constitution, seriously, and would you read it and look at it? There's a section in there on the, the responsibilities of board members for, for, for governance and management. And if you've got any questions, come and ask. Come and I really want to ask you this week to seriously, even starting today, please would you go and pray about whether the Lord is asking you, calling you, nudging you to come and serve in this way. Now, it's very important to realize this. There are three constitutional requirements for becoming a deacon in this church. One, you have to be a member. Two, you need to meet the godly requirements of 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 12. We've looked at that briefly. And three, you need to be baptized as a believer by full immersion. One, if you're not a member, this is your home church and you're not a member, I really want to encourage you to become a member. That's a formal way of committing yourself to the life of this church. Also, perhaps with a view to becoming an elder or a deacon at the church. And I want you to think about that and pray about that. There are some of you sitting here that are members and fit those requirements. You could serve as either elder or deacon. You could. You need to step forward. Pray about it. Talk about it. Step forward. There are some of you here this morning, and I know it's a, it's a hard issue. Some of you here are members. Some of you here may well want to serve in this role, but that last one, that baptized as believer by full immersion, is a bit of a problem because you've been baptized as, as, as a baby, paid a baptism. If you fall into that category, all I want to ask you to simply do is this. I want to ask you to go before the Lord and ask the Lord whether He's asking you to fulfill that requirement for the sake of serving in this church. That is between you and the Lord. I know it's a big thing. And I know there are some believers that would do it, some believers would. That's okay. You've you, you got to work that out, but you work that out with the Lord. I'm just putting that to you because that's something important to look at. Let me finish with this comment. These subjects can be very touchy. I've stepped on a few sensitive issues. We must not be afraid to talk about it. We must not be afraid to have open debate. We've got to be very careful about getting personal about this stuff. We have a freedom to talk and a space. We're a family where there's love. We can debate. We can disagree. I mean, would you believe that even this morning, Simon and I had a disagreement over something? Would you believe that? Do you think that's possible? <laughs> He's in my office at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. What did you say, Simon? <laughs> but we, we deal... <laughs> I missed that one, Jurian. You feel for him now. Yeah, I'm, he's going to feel me. Don't worry. Not tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Tracy said it well, didn't she? We're all what? Aren't, aren't we family? Are we not brothers and sisters? Can we not talk, chew, pray, discuss, debate, 
differ, ask questions, and I will say this to you. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to church life. And we need to work out our lives together. We have a beautiful church. It's a beautiful church. And you have had godly leadership for all the time this church has been in existence. Long may it continue for the glory of God in Jesus Christ in His church. Amen? Gathering team, won't you uh, please come and... uh, Lead us.